Welcome one, welcome all, to season two of Rinky Dinking. Daryl Ray, your host here. Am I really the host or am I just a guy with a microphone in the group of us that speak on this podcast that a few people listen to? Anyway, I'm here with senior writer for DallasStars.com and all things, many off-season uh, excapades, Mr. Mr. Mike Heike is right here. Mike, welcome once again, and thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, Daryl. I think you are basically in charge of everything that has to do with Rinky Dinky. That's not really true. <laughs> it's it's Jeff Totes that puts it all together, and uh, he has set this up once again. We can't thank him enough. Uh, he's our merry millennial, but we've only got a few more months left, I think, that we can call him a millennial. I don't even know how that works, but he's he's maturing right before our eyes, Mike. Is, is, is that a positive term or a negative term there, Jeff? For me, positive. Okay. Definitely positive. And it doesn't correlate to an exact age. It's just a mindset. Wow. You wanted hot sports opinions? There you go. Right out <laughs> of the gate. And, of course, our, our wonderful uh, other addition uh, to this throughout the inaugural season of Rinky Dinking, uh, Tom Holy. It is not here for this one, of course. We don't expect him to be. Uh, he's gained another title, or I believe just a, a comma in his titles. But uh, he's added, uh, I, I, f- I forget what it is, uh, Senior Vice President of Communications and Broadcasting, which hmm. falls into into my area. I think we all communicate. We try anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he is now at the wheel of Stars Broadcasting. And we're very excited, but he couldn't make it to this one because, uh, he, you know, he had a wedding and the Browns are two and two. Yeah. So Baker wanted him there. Yeah. Was, was he at Baker Mayfield's <laughs> wedding? Yeah. I, I thought he was already right. married. <laughs> anyway, uh, Stick and Puck Solstice is upon us. Uh, we are just days away from this season starting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin rinky dinking. With a razor proclamation, sit back, Mike, lean into that couch. Uh, here it goes. Listen to me as I speak. Nothing but truth. Teammates, not voters, cost Bishop and Haskinen hardware this summer. Bam! Wow. Yes. Yes. Now... My reasoning behind this uh, is both scientific and visceral. Uh, just think of this. What's that? Totsi, you hear that? I think that's a smoke alarm. Because that was one hot sports opinion I just tossed out right now. So, Can you add that smoke alarm and post? I, I would hope so. So Ben Bishop and the, uh, and the, and the Vesna. Man, he is... He's turning into the Susan Lucci, which is a real hot reference for anyone over, what, 45 years old? I know. I got it. I know, but most won't. Uh, Susan Lucci, daytime Emmys, always Erica nominated, Kane. never won. Erica Kane. Maybe Evander Kane's mom. <laughs> Look at, wow. <laughs> you needed a life during the day. Anyway, so Anton Hadobin was just so good last year. That I would think in the eyes of a lot of the general managers who I don't understand why GMs vote on on the best goaltender. That one puzzles me as well. But anyway, they they see the numbers and they see the performance and they probably tempered their enthusiasm for Ben Bishop as the guy that should win the Vesna. Now, for you and I that watched him. And certainly in our building at American Airlines Center, how, how would you not have him win the Vesna as the best goaltender in the National Hockey League last year? And there are lots of good ones. Right. It, it's still a fairly uh, goalie-centric sport, but yeah, he deserved to win it last year. But I, I truly believe that Hadobin being as good as he was and posting the numbers that he did – a lot of them just looked at it and said, "You know what? That you could. You, it, it's a it's a system, right? And uh, instead of just flat out saves from your number one guy, which I felt was wrong. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, all you have to do is, we always talk about in a game, how a goalie gives a chance to let the team get its feet. So let's say he stops you know, 15 shots in the first period, and all of a sudden the team gets its feet, comes back and wins 3-1 to one or something like that, a fairly convincing win. Uh, he did that for the Stars on the entire season. Like, th- that was a... That was a joyride of a season with a new coaching staff and some new players and some key injuries and 14 defensemen. And yet every game, you're giving up one or two goals. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a chance as a team to say, oh, we're still in this. We We could go out and win. We could go make the playoffs. And that, to me, was Ben Bishop's strength is that he gave them the confidence to become a playoff team, which I'm not sure any of us really thought they were at the beginning of the season. I just... I think if you if you had a young backup who was just getting his feet wet in the National Hockey League, it would have maybe forced Bishop to play more, right? Which might not have been a great thing come playoff time too. Uh, but it it would have it would have changed the dynamic. It might have changed some some votes, yeah. a lot of votes. Yeah. I think, but you know, it's a good problem to have. Right? Well, and it's interesting too. Like you I'm said, just trying to find things to talk about in the first rinky dinky. It's 31 votes. Like two guys can can change how that all you know turns out. Yeah. So, so it, the other side of it, Haskinen and the Calder, not even a finalist, which was. It's a good thing I'm not a travesty. <laughs> good thing I'm not a part of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Yeah. Explain yourself. What is there like nineteen thousand of you? <laughs> not me anymore. It's them. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> you were there long enough. There's yeah, a million of them, isn't yeah, there? It's it's a it's an odd situation, but. It's it's probably the best way to get the awards. They vote on too many. I agree with that. I wish there was a way in which we could incorporate the broadcasters, incorporate... We vote for one award. I agree with you. Coach of the Year, and we nail it every year. (laughs) We do. Okay. We never get it wrong. No. Well, there you go. Ever. Ever. Like, if you look at the finalists and who wins it every year, you're like, of course. Of course, the broadcasters. Because we know, we see. You watch. We talk, we do. But... With Haskinen, John Klingberg cost him the Calder. And he missed, what, 18 games? And still, people look to John Klingberg. But here, here's the thing. John Klingberg was your point man on the number one power play. Yep. If John Klingberg's not John Klingberg and uh, available here, like Pedersen played every important situation for Vancouver. Right. Because they don't have anyone else. They're they're rebuilding. Rasmus Dahlin played every important minute for the Buffalo Sabres. Because it's, here you go, kid. We're not very good, and we're going to shove you out there, and here we go. Whereas with Miro, he always had, there was always John. And then Miro. Right. And I, I think that that crippled him in gaining more votes, at least to be a finalist. Right. And uh, it's because they look those people for the most part only look at numbers. Yes, they just look at stats. Yes, man. If you if you really drilled down and watched, like I do, because I am who I am, right? Then you see all the little nuances and the subtleties of excellence of Miro Haskinen. Yeah. Not that the other guys shouldn't have been finalists. Right. Bennington was the other one. I mean, how do you argue with that? That you know, but like, at the same time, at the same time, I think if if uh, Miro put in or put up a ton of of just gaudy numbers, and uh, they would have a tough time keeping him off that list. They would. He should have been ahead of the guy in Buffalo, in my eyes, at yeah. least. Can I make uh, one comment? It may be the same thing this year. In talking to Rick Bonus and how they may use Miro, uh, I think they want to use him everywhere. I don't know that they have a real plan for him to be on the first power play. And, you know, I think he was 105 in power play minutes per game last yeah. year. He, he may be about 130 this year. Yeah. Uh, unless there's an injury. Well, you can't. They, look, they need something better. Different. You can't argue with what they did. I mean, they were almost top 10 in Correct. both. Yeah. In both power play and penalty killing. Yeah. Any decision to bonus. Again. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with all right that stuff. Uh, so anyway, that's my... That's my bold proclamation to start things off. We had a long summer. You wrote a lot of stuff, Mike Heike. I would sit there. I'd sit there and go, "God bless him." Well, he's pounding out more stuff on DallasStars.com. Uh, the most exciting 
part of the summer is always the draft and then free agency and then whatever happens in and around that. Uh, but what were your thoughts? I thought I thought they added exactly what they needed to add in in free agency. They, they had to help their top six, and they had to help their top f- four right on on defense. And they did it with with veterans. I mean, these aren't. Other than health, these aren't really stabs in the in the dark. Uh, they they are veteran guys who've proven to provide exactly what the stars need in the, those two areas, yeah. right? And, and well, the other interesting thing about it, the the last two, is they were pushing themselves to the cap with Radulov, Bishop. Pavelski. Well, now we only got four or five million left. How are we going to add the things we need? Well, you went out and you got a Corey Perry on a, you know, incentive laden deal, and you got Andre Sekera on an incentive laden deal. And to me, these are pretty good ads for one year and maybe beyond, depending yeah. on how they perform. Mm-hmm. But like you filled important holes at a fairly reasonable cost. Somebody on Twitter was going like, oh, great contract on Corey Perry. It is a great contract. If Corey Perry only plays in the playoffs, it's still a great contract. And so you add that guy who you hope is going to be a key player at key moments in your season. And yes, he's had some injury histories. Yes, he probably won't be on the ice for opening night. And it's still a good deal. Yeah. Agreed. The uh, Somebody sent out immediately after the Stars signed, you know, 330 somethings that great great along with and then they listed a bunch of guys that are in their 30s here already the the stars stars are heading out in pursuit of the 2009 stanley cup (laughs) (laughs) i was just like but they they, uh, i i love what they did if it works if they stay healthy and it works out uh and it certainly has a lot of people thinking that outside of just us that that think that the stars are better in areas that they needed to be better than they were when the season ended last year um so i we'll see how it we'll see how it goes they they gotta be one of they they have to be one of the oldest teams in the league though right uh or not i I heard they were like 10th because those younger guys are kind of they should have kept harley around here (laughs) that That would have brought it down down. a lot more and delandria both yeah the uh (laughs) But the league puts out all these stats at the beginning of the year, and it'll come out, and we'll find out exactly uh, where they're at. But they, uh, yeah, they have a they have a bit of a mix, but they're fairly vet. This is a fairly veteran team. Yeah. The the other part of it is though that they moved on past guys who I think they decided weren't going to work out. Now, that doesn't mean they're older. It means like Nachushkin and Richie and guys like that, Julius Honka. And so the door is open. Now, we'll see because it sure didn't look like it in, in preseason just oh, yet. Preseason. I know. But it, the the door is open for a lot of young kids to help this team. Let me uh, just let me let me interject here about preseason since you brought it up. OK, last year, first year under Monty, they went four, two and one. Would they go this year? Four and three? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they went three and three under Hitch in 2017. They went four and three under Lindy Ruff in 2016. Okay. 2015, they won 50 games. They won the division. They were runner up to Washington for the President Trophy, the best record in the regular season. Do you know what their preseason numbers were? Was it one? They went one, one and six. One and six. <laughs> they they won one of seven preseason games. It it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter at all. I'll tell you what impressed me the most, and I think we're jumping ahead here in our in our line items. The the it looked to me like it, it, the preseason doesn't matter. I think more people understand that your big guys don't really play that much anymore I'm sure there are conversations internally what do you need in order to get ready for the season and everybody's just fine with that there's no you're going to play every preseason game and there's none of that anymore but when they hit the gas in the third period of the final preseason game you look I looked down there and I was just like and I know they had to go to the whip to come back and beat Colorado and and that but I was just like yes that's 
probably what it's going to look, look more yeah. like. Yeah, I agree. And if you look on the other side of the ice, did you really notice Petrangelo or Nathan McKinnon or like some of the best players? In the oh, league? they don't look anything. They like, don't know no. in the preseason. They nobody don't gets any- mad at anybody anymore. <laughs> nobody finishes a, a check. They all skate. It moves along. There's not a lot of scoring. It, it just and I don't blame them. Yeah. I mean, they're basically just. They're exhibition games. I know we're not supposed to call them exhibition games right. anymore. The NHL doesn't like that. You can do it now that they're over. Yeah, I know, but they, <laughs> yeah, true. But they always want to call them preseason. They're preseason games, yeah. not exhibition. And that might be a different part of of uh, the line items is why they, they want you to do that. But uh, anyway, it, they're through it. Hey, four and three is fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And you get Corey Perry to drink more milk and get himself healthy and and away we go. So, uh, training camp in general, what, what did you think? Um, interesting. Um, I think the, the uh, and again, we'll go back to preseason, but I, everything they talked about, we still need to see on the ice. And the hope is that we're going to see that in the regular season. But the ability to maintain possession in the offensive zone, set up camp, uh, get bodies to the net, all stuff that they've been talking about for three months, we didn't see a whole lot of it. So that is a little bit concerning. Uh, on the good side, I do think these kids, uh, I'm optimistic. I, I know that there were players who had the opportunity to jump up and take a spot on the roster, uh, and a lot of them didn't do that. Uh, but I do think having six or seven or eight of these types of players can be a really good thing. So go down to Austin, you know, find your way in the first two or three months, and then challenge for one of these spots because i do still think there are going to be spots in the nhl available to, you know because of injuries well always yeah what, what, they were what 400 man games lost to injury yeah, last 21 year, forward which we 14 just, defense goaltending was a big reason why they were able to just sort of uh shove that off to the side of the table and move along that's a lot of man games lost some of them were long-term injuries to guys like uh martin hansel right uh that just adds up incrementally all all season long but they they still ran into a lot of injuries and were able to overcome them in years past they were crippling and Correct. couldn't do that the uh the training camp is such a interesting thing now we, i mean you especially because you have to write throughout it i don't have to do much we did one game but you're, you're trying to artificially really manufacture competitions and what have you in there because it's all it's already it's predicated on contracts right. more than anything else. And I understand hockey departments have to look a little bit short term and a lot long term on what they're doing. Whereas coaches just, they have one thing, they have tunnel vision and they have very short term. They're just out to win that game right. and this game and the next game. So when you look at, at camp, yeah, you could say, well, there's, you know, all this battle for the, bottom three forwards and whatever else you want to talk about the seventh defenseman you know that guy that's going to be in your lineup or isn't you look how it unfolds and you're like well not really if you could you could have had this picked in july yeah the way it looks like on opening night i agree i I think the one difference is the minds of those players uh Nick Camano, I think, has a different mindset after training camp. Brett Gardner has a different... Like, they see this now as, hey, I could play in the NHL. And I'm not exactly... Yeah, sure I don't know that I that. agree with that as much. Because okay. just from just from my own history and what have you, it, not as much as anymore as right. it was, but it used to be... The start of training camp and guys would impress in camp. Then you get into preseason games. You're like, well, we'll see what it looks like in a preseason game. So you put them in those early preseason games when everybody has all their kids and whoever was great in camp and they throw them into the first couple of preseason games because you don't want a bunch of your name guys playing those games and it's an opportunity to see them. So then they look okay in that. And you're like, okay, well, now let's see what they look like when things get real and you're down to, you know, 28 guys in camp. There's only five extras or four extras around. And you play those last two preseason games and you're like, okay, what what do they look like here? The tempo goes up in that. And then it can be a bit of fool's gold. You think, all right, he's ready to go. And then you get into regular season games and you're like, whoa, this is a completely different animal than anything we saw in the preseason. And some of them start to struggle and some of them... Don't. And right. you, you think you really have one. Uh, I don't know 
the, the preseason isn't what it, it used to be. There's, I don't think there is many really good tests. That said, the, the kid Thomas Harley came in and, uh, I mean, as an 18-year-old, just looked like, wow, yeah. they picked a good one here. Uh, to get picked in the summer and then come into camp and look like a pro. I mean, look like a pro. Almost like Miro, and I know Monty right. stated, you know, he, every time you look at him, he looks like Miro Haskinen. You know what? He he does a lot of this similar yeah. things: his poise and patience, and and his puck movement, all those things. So, but that's the preseason, and, and we were just talking about it. You have a lot of these elite guys that are, you know, spinning their tires. Yeah. And when you get into regular season stuff, where the intensity goes up, not one level like. 18, 20 levels, and you got to compete in that, then you really find out about these people. And, and then on the other end of things, and I understand it, you, you know, Dennis Garionov has, has some wonderful skills. Right. But he was given every opportunity from the outset of camp to prove that, you know what, you deserve especially with Corey Perry injured. It's like, here you go. It's on a platter for you. And it was just a big in the, in the preseason and all these opportunities. And, and yet he'll be here to start the season. Yeah. And part of that is because of the injury, I would think to Corey Perry. And part is just, you know, you, you have these guys that, that you look at and you want to give them every opportunity to show what they can do. And, Maybe it's a bit of a confidence thing. Maybe they can find themselves a little bit here. And skating is such an important thing in today's game, and that's his best asset. I think you also go back to, okay, what's the next step for him? If he goes back to the AHL, is that really going to help him? Whereas if Robertson goes there, it, he'll be fine. You know, So Garyanov could take a step back if he goes back to the yeah. AHL. Robertson I'll, won't I'll, take a step back. I agree, but the argument with that, too, is – in the bigger picture with everybody, like I'm, I just go to my own history, right? Yep. And you sit there and you're like, hey, some guys don't deserve to be there. And and they, it's like we gave you the opportunity and you failed. Yep. Now you got to go back and earn it again. Yeah. That's. Uh, and Rope did it last year and, yes. and, and proved it yeah. to them. Yeah. And, and, you know, Monty said, you know, the harder, the more you do it, the harder it gets, but then the harder you get. And I like that quote, because when you're down there, you're going like, damn it, I'm not going to stay down here. This time I'm going up there and I'm going to stick up there. And I think that's what Rope did. I mean, I think you could see it in his determination and his confidence is like, I'm better than the AHL. I need to be at the NHL level. And he proved it to everybody. It's age old. If you're an offensive or a skilled high draft pick, uh, and you have to do two things to stick in the NHL. One is you have to you have to score. Right. You have to show value offensively. They can live with warts defensively if you're scoring. Right. The likelihood of you being able to score like you did at any lower level is not very high. Right. So you have to show that you can at least hold your own without the puck and defensively. Because if you're a liability defensively and you're not scoring, there's no place for you in, in the NHL yeah. on, on the ice. You, you can be on the roster, but you ain't going to be on the ice. I, it, it makes me laugh. I remember back when I was with Edmonton, and I had a good camp. You know, preseason back then was really my season. I had Mogan Fuhr ahead of, ahead of me. but And we played like 13 preseason games. It was crazy. But at the end of camp, uh, I got sent down. Grant Fuhr was not very good in the preseason, and he was he he was overweight. But I mean, he's an all star. He's all world and whatever. And uh, Slats grabs me and tells me, you know, hey, you know, this is what's going to go on. You're going to go down. I'm disappointed, obviously. And he's he's like, you you shouldn't be the guy going down. It should be Grant. <laughs> and he was, <laughs> it was all I could do to not laugh. You know, it was just like, yeah, you're going to send Fierzy down. Attack. Sure you are. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you just take it and off you go. And and you're you know, it's so disappointing when you're one of the last cuts. But that said, I think a guy like Rhett Gardner showed in camp here that. They, you know, they have something coming. He's very similar to Radic Foxa. That's kind of going to be his his role in the NHL. Yep. Comes out of that, you know, wonderful uh, program at North Dakota. 
and uh, he's he looks like a guy who's going to just solidify your depth at center in the future. But it's going to it's going to pay dividends for him to go down and and play a little bit in the American Hockey League, and whenever whenever you know push prod get your way to the national hockey league and we'll go right back to the full circle that's the good thing about preseason they know about red gardner now and red gardner knows what his opportunity yeah he no the guys help themselves and yeah. guys hurt themselves well and then the coaches now i think look at him and go oh that's an option that i'm not sure that we would have talked about yeah August. It's a long run for those guys for their first camps because the the uh, rookie camp up in your neck of the nape in uh, traverse city you know, so they they train all summer and then they go into that and then they play those games and the microscope is on them there. And then they come into camp. They've already played those games. They've already trained. Now they got to, you know, it's, it's a it long is. haul. But that's part, I think that's really part of becoming a pro. Right. Understanding that, you know what, this is what it is. It is a friggin' grind. It's a job. Yeah. That's the, I always talk to people about that because like you see these kids and they were in college or they were having fun or they were doing whatever in the summertime. And now this is your job yeah. and you really need to take it pretty seriously. And, and I, I do think they have to learn that. And, and you can, it's interesting watching them go through the process of learning it's a job. Uh, we, we have so many topics. We could talk <laughs> for three hours, which we won't. Uh, but it, I think it's important to touch on on the rules and the replay changes. Do you want an interlude be, before we do that? Because we are really changing gears. We could change on the fly. No, but we're not going to do that. Because of these rules and replay, there are going to be a ton more, or there won't be as many uh, opportunities for stoppages. At the same time, face-offs are going to be the most important thing ever in professional hockey coming out of these things. And we'll tell you why on the other side of this. All right. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us for season two of Rinky Dinking, uh, where we spitball and pontificate and spout off about the various topics that are right on the on the hot stove in Star's world in the National Hockey League. Totes, I know he stifles a laugh every time I talk. Anywho, Mike Heike, we were uh, alluding to the fact that the NHL again has made some rule changes. They, and I understand it, Sort of, but but at the same time, it, it seems like they should be called the knee-jerk committee, not the rules committee. Because something happens and then, bam, they just go nuts. we got to fix it. And, and they don't do it willy-nilly because they do talk about it and say, we always try to measure what are the unintended consequences of making this rule change, which is difficult. Right. Because you make it in thin air and on sheets, and then you have to see it in practicum on the sheets of ice and then you're like ooh we didn't think about that or no. oh oh yeah maybe we should tweak that a little bit like even video review and a lot of people including myself sat there and went how can you have different rules for coaches challenges on video reviews like one time it's you have to have your time out and another another time it's just a penalty and you're like so at least they can uh they condensed it into one uh clearing house if you will yes of those things but let's just start with the the uh the video review changes so basically the san jose sharks were front and center yep in this and the big one was the five minute major and and uh i'm sure the the uh, guys in the desert in Vegas were all for the changes. <laughs> they got, you know, they did have the option to kill a penalty, right? But it started with uh, our now Dallas star Joe Pavelski getting upended and cranked and knocked out of the game uh, by Cody Eakin, former, former Dallas star. It's, it's all coming back. The stars. Uh, and uh, subsequently, the the Sharks made their way to the conference final because of it, and they changed to where they can review. Uh, a major penalty right. as to whether it is or isn't you like this all comes down to me is if i'm sitting at home and i know in 
two seconds or, you know, whatever, you know, 30 seconds on a replay that they got it wrong. I, that's a really bad feeling. And and the problem is that you and me can sit there and watch the replay and say, oh, I know what the answer is. But then how do you get that to the arena? How do you allow the officials to see the replay the way that we're seeing it? And to me, that's the biggest question of all this. And so now you've got to structure your rules around can we fix this? And like you said, on paper, sure, this will fix it <laughs> until we actually get out there and start making some calls and making some decisions. I, on. Th- this one I don't mind as much because yeah. it, 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 those guys need a second look at some things. Yeah. Why can't we just use like the video board or have like a 70 inch screen off to the side? <laughs> like, I mean, they're looking at a phone. They're looking like a okay. replay on a phone. Okay, this, this is a bit of a diversion <laughs> from what we're supposed to be talking about. But I was thinking of this on the weekend watching football. Okay, uh, if I gave you the choice, what is the more uh, emasculating position? The guy who walks out on the field and squirts water into another man's mouth? Or the guy who walks out on the field with a TV around his neck <laughs> and some and some glasses and stands there as the referee stares at his chest yeah. and a TV monitor. Your choice? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say the water squirter. Yeah, probably. But the guy with the monitor is pretty close. Anyway, <laughs> back we go. Uh, the that, other thing- that's the area they need to fix. They need to allow officials to have a look at least somewhat similar to what we have at home. Yeah, yeah. I, I think those guys are pretty good. I, th- I think if you give them another shot at it, because they get blocked out, it happens so fast. If they can watch it I in slow-mo, even if it's not on a massive screen, they, they're going to be able to go, oh, hold it now, whoa. Right. And they are going to be in conference with guys that have bigger... Uh, monitors. Well, could you, no and again, the NHL say. kind of does this, could you have an official who's not on the field? Yeah, I think that's probably the next step. And right. A lot of people talked about that. Yeah. Just just have an official, but it's manpower and it's a money thing probably. Uh, just have an official that can look on a massive monitor right. and help those guys out. I think it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. Again, it goes to, I can see it. I'm sitting here on my couch. I can tell you what happened. Same thing with double minors. Yep. And yeah, because I mean, all these rule changes, especially for video review, are because of people at home yep. on Twitter. Yep. And going, well, how those morons, how did they miss that? Well, I'll tell you how they missed it. It happens really friggin' quick. Right. And the hand pass thing that happened in the St. Louis San Jose series, I thought they could have fixed that by just saying you can make a hand pass in every zone. Right. Why they, uh, I think it's coming anyway. Why you only allow it in the defensive zone. Right. And you don't, if you do it in the neutral zone, oh my God, we need to stop play. Right. That can't be allowed. And if it happens and it results in a goal, we're trying to score more goals in our league. Correct. Why Why are you uh, handicapping guys in the offensive zone? Guys on his knees, one hand's tied up. He just bumps the puck to a teammate and he scores. And now they're going to be able to review that because of that. Right. St. Louis went on and won the Stanley Cup. Yep. And yet they made that rule change with that. Uh, the coach challenges. Uh, I like I like the penalty. I think it's going to make them think twice. Uh, they didn't mind losing a the timeout. They're going to mind one, especially if it's a goal, and then two. You put them on the power play right after they score a goal. It really is going to change the strategy of, of well, whether you yes. want to. I, I had a quick chat with with our coaches about it, and they were all saying, "I don't think there'll be anywhere near as many challenges. Right. It's just too penal now for for you to be wrong." And a lot of pressure on those guys in the in the back to be absolutely correct. You know, stuff like offside is pretty easy. It's cut and dry. Yeah. You can see it. You're, you're going to rely on your guy back in the room, poor Kelly Forbes, yeah. back there and say, okay, goalie interference or not. It's not just a timeout. It's, right. it's a penalty. And teams are going to spend so much time on special teams. Not that they didn't before, but right. they will now. Uh, even more so that and faceoff uh, plays, but the coach the coach challenge thing. I, I think it's I think it's pretty good. I, I really do. I, I I like the idea that it's a penalty for everything, just right. like you do. I'm not going to go into all the the minutia of exactly how and why. You can read o- online, people. Well, again, a lot of this that's not the, what this podcast is about. Well, a lot this of this is going to have to play out on the stuff. ice. Like, I mean, we sit there and say we can read all this stuff well, until we see it in a game. Yeah, true. You know, that's, well, that's and they couldn't one. even do it in the preseason because there was no television. Right. 
So we are the most important people in our sport. And I'm not kidding. Tom Holy tells me that every day. I am not kidding because we go to the meetings in New York and as much as they like to talk down to us and oh my God, they told us again this year, I went to the meetings in New York and I don't usually go. It's a waste of my time. I'm a very, very important. Got a lot going on in the summertime. A lot going on. So I go and, and you know, it was important that, you know, there's, there is a downside uh, to being better than everyone else like myself. And that's that people tend to assume that you're pretentious. And I, I don't like that at all. But I digress. We, we're at the meetings and they tell us again that we need to tell stories. Storytelling, very important thing. And we can't at the refereeing as much as we do. So I'm sitting there in my comfortable seat in New York and I'm thinking, all right, storytelling. Okay, you continue to steal almost every opportunity that we have when the game is stopped to tell a story so you're doing us no favors there hurry up face-offs and now we're going to have continuous play we're going to struggle to even get our commercial breaks in you watch we will and the other i mean the the other side of it have you watched the nfl or any program associated with the nfl there are people losing their minds on, on their big shows, on their national big shows, just annihilating referees. And the former referees that are now in booths are cremating the referees on the field for their decisions. And yet we're the ones, broadcasters, who are too much in the National Hockey League. I, I don't get that. Anyway, helmets. When they come off, player now has to either put their bucket back on or change. Yes fine right i think so especially with the potential for concussion and they they showed us some video of guys getting hit in the head and in the visor on slap shots where they don't see uh you know and you think okay if he'd have lost his because players are players they they, they'll go to the front of the net and battle and try to block a shot whether they have a helmet on or not and uh, i think it's i think it's a good rule uh the face-offs this is probably the biggie uh, attacking teams uh, can now choose which side of the ice they want to face off to take place in the offensive zone following an icing call at the start of a power play after a stoppage by the goalie when a puck is shot from the other side of center ice. I can't think that that happens that much, no. uh, but they put it in there. And uh, when the defensive uh, skater, you have a defenseman or somebody runs into the net uh, and knocks it off its moorings. And goaltenders are still allowed to knock it off accidentally on right. purpose, but players can't. Thoughts? I like it. I mean, these are things we always talk about. Let's help the offense. Okay. So now, granted, a good coach would have read where the faceoff is and put the players out there who probably could win faceoffs on their strong side. And but now they don't have to. Now they can sit there and go, I want you know Tyler Sagan out there, and I want the faceoff in the right circle, or you know whatever you want to do. Uh, it's it's an ability to have a set piece, like they say in soccer, and then, you know, that hopefully, even if it's minute percentage-wise, should help you be better offensively. And I like things that make you better offensively. I can see some of that. Uh, I, I get some of that. I our our sport is best when it's flowing, mm-hmm. not. That, that was the issue I had with 0506 when we came back from the lockout and there were a million power plays. Do you really want to watch the game at one end of the rink? You want the game going up and down. Right. And the more times and the more onus you put on face-offs, they contradict themselves. They're hypocrites sometimes because they, they say, okay, we want hurry-up face-offs. Just get the game flowing again. That was the big thing before, Right. right? Don't spend all this time moving people around and and drilling down on faceoffs. Let's just get in there and drop the puck. They've changed that. First, it was uh, the, you know the, the what side of center are you on, and are you the home team or the road team? And now they've moved to this one where it's which side of the ice you get to take your face off on, and that. I guess I I don't I don't know that that many goals are scored straight off faceoffs anymore. Everyone's so eager to block a shot. It's like a chessboard. It's as far as where players stand and what have you. It's not as free and easy as it once was. So we'll we'll see what happens with this. It just seems like 
they said, we need our face-offs to happen quicker than they were before. And now they're going to delay things because you can't change. Right. You, you can't change on these things other than the power play thing. The other stuff, it's like an icing and you can't change. So now you're going to have players that have made their way to the bench. And now the, the refs and the officials are going to have to bring players back on and know who was on the ice when that goalie stopped the puck from the other side of center ice and hung on to it. And they're going to delay because they were out there and they were tired and it's going to take forever for them to get this face off happen. They're going to have to pick which side it right. is. And all. I, I just think they're defeating a little bit of the, the whole purpose of having these face-offs happen quicker I get, with tired teams. I get that, ice. but then, and I agree with the, the tired teams, the, the two things they've done, allowing the, the or making sure the defensive uh, player has a stick down first, and then allowing the uh, attacking team to pick the side, that should help the attacking team. And then if you win a face-off, even if you just keep it in the zone, you're keeping it in the zone. And now you're not transitioning say back this. and trying to make a line change and all of that. I'll stuff. say this. If we allowed picks, which I think we should. Yes. I really do. I think you should be allowed to pick a player in the offensive zone. Just like basketball. You have to open up some yeah. ice. And I th- I think if they allowed that, this would be a phenomenal rule. Yeah. It would be, it would be awesome. Because you could truly set plays off of a face-off. You can't really you can't really do that right now. More times than not, if you're trying to set something up and if you have a little bit of interference and they're looking for it, you're going to okay, you got an offensive face-off with tired defenders out there and you chose what side you're going to do. And then your guy interfered with someone and now you're shorthanded yeah. because of it. Interesting. Unintended consequences. Got to play the games, Daryl. Got to got to keep studying. Reviews uh, previews, predictions. We, we got it all here in the first edition of Rinky Dinking. Uh, our Mary Millennial had a tough uh, back end of the summer. He is one of these uh, true lovers of White Claw. And there was a White Claw shortage. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Mike. I'm sure you're not into uh, the White Claw world. You're probably more just to give me amber liquid and I'll go about my business with some beer. True. Uh, I like a dark beer, yes. Yes. What is your go-to? Guinness. Okay. That is the darkest of beers. <laughs> beers. But they I also, try to say that that's healthy. I love that. It is. It's oh, like please. dark chocolate. I have dark chocolate and Guinness and then my heart's just great. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. The, uh, the White Claw thing... I learned from my, I have 20 and 17 year old daughters and they're underage. So obviously they're not drinking White Claw, but they know about it from the world that they're in and what have you. And a very exciting in, in the uh, can and what have you. But Jeff Totes. Yes. When I asked you what your, your favorite beverage is, and I would have thought it would be something in the vodka realm or, you know, because that's what a lot of the young people, vodka, soda, things like that. I was extremely disappointed <laughs> when I heard <laughs> when I heard that White Claw was his go-to because I had not done my homework yet as to uh, how many people at, at various ages find this uh, liquid, this effervescent liquid, absolutely intoxicating. It had an unbelievable summer. Like summer 2019 was summer of White Claw, summer of seltzer, and White Claw being the premier. Why, why White Claw? It's it just became that brand recognition that that was the one to have. They all taste the same, but there's only one that you can say no laws when you're drinking claws. And <laughs> whoa, hold it. What? No laws when you're drinking claws. That that seems disturbing to start off. But don't hand the microphone away. I want more. <laughs> He just cranked. Like, he's the rebel now. He's the white claw guy who has no laws, is out there tearing up society. Yeah, it's disturbing (laughs) as a a slogan. Now, there's truth in this, though. Why? Because the NHL signed an official agreement with one of these seltzers, one of these hard seltzers. White claw? Truly. 
truly hard seltzer. Basically yeah. the third tier of this drink. Well, you can't say that. This is an official podcast, and we're supporting the National Hockey League. I think it's nice that they are on board with a Boston beer company that makes a seltzer. True. Is that... Well, you seem defeated by this now. <laughs> I've reached out to White Claw to get a sub-sponsorship of this podcast, but I haven't heard back yet. Well, after we, we've said White Claw 50 times... <laughs> we should get something. Yes. A case, at least. Okay. The the go-to flavor, though, is... Black cherry or mango. Are by, by far the best. Lime is garbage. Why is lime garbage? Because I, I enjoy lime Perrier. Well, the, the reason people like White Claw is because you can drink multiple of them, and it's very light. It's... The opposite of a Guinness. It's perfect for tailgating, summer activities, everything. It's lovely. And Isn't it? Should have a sponsorship. Very similar to like a wine spritzer. No, even lighter. It's oh like my flavored God. water. I'm disappointed in this. All this is of not, humanity with this. This is not winning me any fans <laughs> among our listeners. White Claw. It's so light. I bet you there's some females out there who are thinking, "Ooh, Jeff Totes. Now that's the kind of guy I want to date." Only because he has an inside lane to White Claw. Because <laughs> they like White Claw. Now the shortage was disturbing, though, right? That's true. It was the summer of seltzer, but August was a bit of a dip. And this was because of their distribution strategy. As soon as demand went up, they started stocking in more retailers without upping production. So, they've, just, they've assured us that they'll be back to normal levels by 2020. Do you think that was done on purpose? Just to drive I think it increased demand to the next level? But it ended up working out for all these uh, second tier seltzers, such as Trulies, because the claws were gone. So what did misguided 20-somethings do? Well, there was this shortage going on. Like, how did they function? We had to hang out with Heike and drink Guinness. It was awful. <laughs> how many Guinnesses have you had in your life? I went, I went to Dublin this summer, and I had one there, because you have to. But okay, not I'm my gonna, favorite. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. Yep. What I want you to do is get some just plain seltzer, pour it into a Guinness, Ew. and and go with the, the dark claw. <laughs> the dark claw. That sounds disgusting. And make it your own. Dark Claw time. Dark Claw time. With Jeff Totes. Official drink of Rinky Dinking. Well, I don't know if we're going to go with that, that it's the official drink. Uh, I've, I've, yet, I've never tasted one. And I love, look, look at, I love seltzer. I, I, I love Perrier. I, I love the other one better now. I didn't even know about it. And now I know about it. And my go-to drink now has become ranch water no idea this makes me want to i ordered i went i went to a, a bar restaurant and i stood at i was waiting for our table and i stood there and i ordered a ranch water and the head snapped around at the bar people were having a bite to eat there and and you, you could tell they were immensely impressed with my order why wouldn't you be, right? And I did it in an authoritative, very broadcast voice. I'll have uh, ranch water, please. And they were just like, what is this ranch water? What could this possibly be? Topo Chico. Topo. Topo is my go-to. I hammer Topos. The best. So good. So it's a little Topo Chico in there. It's basically a margarita without the sugar. Just get away, get away from all the mixed sugar and all that. A little bit of jalapeno in there. Tequila. Uh, Codigo is your go-to because Brendan Morrow's involved in that. And then your topo in there on top of that. Throw a worm in the bottom? No, and then you just continue <laughs> continue adding your topo. Get Ask for the bottle. Add the topo to your drink. And you, it turns into maybe two drinks. Watered down a little bit. Ranch water. Ranch water. Razor's ranch water, we'll call it. We got a lot of potential sponsors. So, we do. I think we've covered our alcohol consumption from the summer. Yeah. Uh, a sobering thought to finish off rinky-dinking number one would be prediction for the season. For the Dallas Stars? Yep. Uh, I have got them second in the Central Division playing Colorado in the first round. Mm. And that's all I'm going to get to because what we've seen in the playoffs last year is that 
anything can happen. And I think they, that to me is the sobering thought that they need to embrace throughout this entire process. That whatever you do in October, doesn't matter in November, whatever you do in November, doesn't matter, you know, all the way down, you really need to be intense with your focus. Wow, that's a good, that's a statement. Whether it's fact or not, we'll find out <laughs> over the next 33 weeks or whatever we do this. Uh, American Thanksgiving is now a fallacy. Not the actual right. Thanksgiving, right? but the fact that you ha- have to be either in a playoff spot or in proximity of a playoff spot at American Thanksgiving, our all hope is lost because of the St. Louis Blues. Or was that a one-off? No, I think it's true. Well, we're going to find out. They were dead last heading into 2019 and won it all. Yep. And I think the league is a little bit excited about that. The idea that, you know what, this thing's not over uh, a month and a half into the season. At the same time, I don't think they want things to just go helter-skelter throughout there. They want some defining runs through there. Uh, I have the stars. They're going to score some more this year. And I think Sekera, if he stays healthy, is is going to is going to be key to this defense core. I, I, I really believe that. I, I really like yeah, the I way too. he plays. And I have him at 108 points in a deep run. Wow. Good for you. Yep. You know what's interesting about the Blues? I think the Lightning also had a big say in this. Like, you, you just put together one of the greatest regular seasons and it doesn't matter. There you go. And so then now all these people have been saying, just get in. They kind of got their wish last year. Just get in. That is true. And we're just going to get out now. That's Rinky Dinking One. We're going to talk to you all again next week for the great Mike Heike. For Jeff Totes, our White Claw Insider. And for the absent Tom Holy and Holy Puckaganda. Remember, none of us is as dumb as all of us. We'll talk to you next week, everyone. Summer has come and passed. The innocent can never last. Wake me up when September.